Well, ready or not, Christmas is here. In fact, in case you're wondering, I just checked this morning. We are only 19 days away from Christmas Eve. And I can tell by your expression, some of you are excited about that. Some of you are freaking out just a little bit. And some of you are both excited and freaking out all at the same time. But whatever you're feeling today, I want you to know how glad I am that you are joining us, that you are helping us kick off Christmas at Cedar Creek. You know, of all the holidays that we celebrate, Christmas by far has the greatest number and diversity of symbols, right? I mean, think about all the different symbols we have for Christmas. We've got lights and trees. We've got wreaths. We've got angels. We've got stars. We've got mangers. We've got inflatable Grinches for the front yard, which, by the way, am I the only one that's noticing how many of those inflatable Grinches are showing up? It's like they're everywhere, right? True confession, I actually have an inflatable Grinch in my front yard. In fact, we have six different weird inflatables in our front yard. Uh, Don't ask me why. Maybe I'll tell you one day. It's a very long and interesting story of our family, but of all the symbols that we have for the Christmas season, to me, I think the one that, that best encompasses the emotions, the feels of Christmas is home, right? Because there's no place like home for the holidays. And I'll be home for Christmas. And the greatest sight you'll see is the holly that will be on your own front door. I think the reason home is such a powerful emotional part of the Christmas season is not just because home is where we are going to be or maybe where we wish we could be for Christmas. I think home is such a powerful part of Christmas because of what home represents. Because home, when it's working right, and granted, not all of us grew up in or even live in homes that are working right, but when a home functions the way God intended it, it is a place of comfort and warmth and security, right? I mean, home is that place where you're loved and accepted and, and understood, where, where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. Well, actually, that's about a bar in Boston, but but you get my point. Home is not about a physical place. Home is about where you belong. And Christmas means you have a home. See, when we celebrate Christmas, we think about God with us. That's what Christmas is all about, right? The God of the universe wraps himself in human flesh and makes his home among us. But I think sometimes we forget the other side of that coin, right? Because if God is at home with us, that means that we can be at home with God. In fact, I love this prayer from Moses in in Psalm chapter 90. Notice what he says. He says, Lord, through all the generations, you have been 
our home. Think about that for a minute, right? This is Moses. Moses, who spent 40 years leading a homeless nation of Israel, roaming around in the wilderness. They could not go back to Egypt, the only home any of them ever knew. And they couldn't yet go to the promised land that was waiting for them. And yet Moses says, even in the desert, God, you are our home. Our home is not back in the nostalgia of what we used to experience. Our home is not something that's going to be coming in the future for us. We don't have to wait till we die to be at home with you. Our home is right here, right now with you. That is the great news of Christmas. So what I want to do over these next couple of weeks is look at some of the greatest gifts that are waiting for us when we come home to God. And today I want to kick it off by looking at one of the greatest gifts God gives us, and that is hope. Hope is one of the greatest needs we have in God because it's one of the deepest needs we have in our lives. I mean, as a human being, you can go for weeks, maybe even months without food. You can go for days without water. In fact, you can actually go for several minutes without oxygen. But you can't go for even one second without hope. And yet, as deep as our need for hope is, it is often very hard to find. In December of 1926, a a U.S. Navy submarine on a routine training mission in bad weather off the coast of Massachusetts surfaced, and because of the weather and because radar had not been invented, this sub surfaced right in the direct path of a Coast Guard destroyer. When they collided, the sub was catastrophically damaged and immediately sunk to the bottom of the North Atlantic Ocean. And because of the weather, it was several days of delay until rescue divers could get down to where the sub was. And when they arrived, they were shocked to hear tapping coming from inside the submarine. And they knew that that tapping meant that there was at least some survivors. But then as they listened, they began to realize that the tapping was not just the people in there, but it was the people desperately trapped who were tapping out a message in Morse code. And the message was simply this, is there hope? Many of us especially after this past year and a half-ish, many of us are asking that same question today. Is there hope? Maybe you've been let go or laid off from your job and the bills are starting to pile up and you're wondering, is there hope? Or maybe you've recently stood over the fresh grave of a loved one and you're wondering, is there hope? Or maybe you've been meeting with the doctors to review the test results and you're wondering, is there hope? Or maybe you're wondering, will I ever get married? Will I ever have children? Will my prodigal ever come home? And the question, is there hope? Is it the forefront of your mind? 
And if you're asking that question today, the good news of Christmas is that the answer is yes. Yes, there is hope. Christmas means hope. Unfortunately, our our hunger for hope is so deep that we often substitute cheap imitations for hope. Sometimes we pursue wishful thinking. If I could just have a positive thought, if I could just wish it enough, if I could just pray enough, if I could light enough candles or blow out enough birthday candles, then maybe I could wish for hope and I could get through. Or or maybe you're confusing hope with optimism, blind optimism. You know, optimism just ignores the bad reality and focuses on only the good thing. And listen, there's nothing wrong with positive thinking or optimistic thinking. It's better than negative thinking and it's better than pessimistic thinking, but it is not hope. Wishful thinking and blind optimism may change your attitude and it may change your outlook on the circumstances, but it will not change your circumstances and it will not change you. But the hope of Christmas can In fact, notice these great words from the Apostle Peter in his first letter. And by the way, he's writing these letters to Christians who were suffering under the rule of the Roman Emperor Nero. You know about Nero from history, right? That he was feeding Christians to the lions in the Colosseum. He literally crucified thousands of Christians all up and down the Appian Way. He would often coat Christians in tar, tie them to a stake, set them on fire, and use them as human torches. To be a Christian in that day meant difficult circumstances at best and a horrible death at worst. And yet, notice what Peter writes to them. In his great mercy, he, talking about God, he has given us new birth into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Two things I want you to notice about the hope of Christmas, this hope that comes in Jesus. One, Peter describes it as a possession. He says, hope has been given to you and it's being kept for you. Hope is not something we do, but it is something we can have. Hope is not a verb. Hope is a noun. What we can do is have wishful thinking. But the hope that God offers at Christmas is something that we can possess. Secondly, Peter says that this hope God gives us is tied to Jesus and his resurrection. See, that's the thing about hope. Hope is only as good as what that hope is in. Hope by itself has no power. It's just a wish. It's just a dream. It's a desire. Biblical hope is based on something that is real, bankable, something that you can count 
on no matter what is going on in your life. In fact, that's why the writer of Hebrews writes these words in chapter 6, verse 19. He says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Why is our hope firm and secure? Because it is anchored in the power and promises of God. I was thinking this week, I was reminded of a a song, a hymn we used to sing in church when I was a little kid. And I don't know all of the lines in the song, but the one I remember is this simple phrase. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That is the hope of Christmas, not how much we can be positive or wish, but because the power and promises of God. So let me ask you, what, are you, what is your hope this Christmas? What is your hope this Christmas? I'm not asking what are you hoping for. I'm asking you what is your hope in Are you just hoping in a warm, fuzzy feeling that you get from this time of year? Or is your hope in the power and promises of a resurrected Savior? Because if you'll place your hope in that, because of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, there are three things that the hope of Christmas means for you today. Number one, the hope of Christmas means that I don't have to be alone. Because of Christmas, I don't have to be alone. You know, that's the heart of the Christmas story, isn't it? It's all about celebrating God with us. But that's that's not just a happy little Christmas thought. It is a reality, and it is the anchor of our hope. I mean, there's nothing sadder than someone being alone at Christmas, right? I mean, they make whole movies and TV shows about that, of of somebody who's home alone or left alone or has no family at Christmas and is so sad and heartbreaking. But by the end of the movie, the family comes home or the neighbors show up and that person by midnight Christmas Eve is no longer alone. But that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, yeah, granted, there may be some of you here today who will not have anybody with you on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And if that's you, I'm sorry for that, but you don't have to be. You're part of a church family, or you can be. I know there are people right here in our church who would love for you to join them in their family for Christmas, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about being physically alone this Christmas. I'm talking about feeling emotionally alone and isolated. I know many of us are are facing problems and issues, and, and maybe you got people supporting you. Maybe you even got people praying for you, but you recognize nobody truly understands what you're going through. And if that's you, I have a great Christmas promise for you today. It comes from the Old Testament prophet by the name of Isaiah. Notice what he writes, chapter 41. He says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. And then notice what he says. I will strengthen you and help you. You know, I was reminded this week, those words 
were written to the nation of Israel in one of the darkest moments of their history. They were a defeated and divided nation. This once proud great nation had been destroyed and divided and scattered about. And the vast majority of them had turned their back on God and the faith. They had drifted away from the faith and they had embraced the culture around them. They were worshiping the Babylonian gods. They were living a Babylonian worldly lifestyle. But there was this small remnant of faithful believers. And you know, sometimes when you're part of that small remnant, it's easy to become afraid to think we're, we're losing everything or, or it's easy to feel alone like it, it's only us. But into those moments, God says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Don't be discouraged. I am still your God. But don't miss this. I want you to notice what God's promise to the remnant is. His promise is not to fix their external circumstances. He doesn't promise to turn the, the unfaithful back to faithful. He doesn't promise to make everything good like it used to be. He simply promises this, his strength and his help. I don't know what you're facing this Christmas, and I have no idea what the outcome will be, but I do know this. God's strength and God's help is available to you. And that church is a hope that you can anchor your heart and your life to. See, the hope of Christmas means that I don't have to be alone. But there's a second thing the hope of Christmas means, and that is I can be free from my past. The hope of Christmas means I can be free from my past. Now, one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies is Scrooge, the, the Christmas Carol. You know the movie based on the, the Charles Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol about Ebenezer Scrooge? Now, my favorite is the 1970-something version. I, I'm not into the new version, the Jim Carrey, but the old school George C. Scott plays the part of Scrooge. Y'all remember that one? Some of you, yeah, those of you are nodding, you're showing your age. But and I guess the reason I love it is because that's the first time I saw the movie in theaters. But you remember what wakes Ebenezer up that first Christmas Eve while he's sleeping Christmas Eve? There, there's a noise and he wakes up and what's there? What does he see? Shout it out. Anybody know? A ghost, right? Do you remember what ghost came first? Before you shout out the ghost of Christmas past, that is the wrong answer. Does anybody remember the first ghost to show up in the story? His old business partner, right? Uh, Marley, Jacob Marley, almost said Bob Marley. That's a very different story, very different message, right? It's Jacob Marley. And do you remember what the ghost of Jacob Marley is covered in? What is it? Chains, right? And Ebenezer says, what is that all over you? You're dragging behind you. And he says, these are the chains of my past. These are all my failures, all my mistakes, all my wounds, all of the bad things. And I must drag them through eternity. And I think sadly, that is an accurate picture of where many of us are today. 
We feel like somehow the the mistakes or the things we've done or not done or the things that others have done to us in the past, we allow them to continue to dictate our presence and determine our future. But the hope of Christmas is they don't have to. You cannot change your past. There is no time machine, but you don't have to keep dragging it with you. Notice another great promise, this time from the Old Testament prophet uh, Jeremiah from Lamentations chapter three. Jeremiah, who knew a lot of pain and struggle, says, the thought of my suffering is bitter beyond words. All the stuff I've been through, all the junk in my trunk, the pain of my past, I'll never forget it, but then look at what he says. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies begin afresh each morning. What does that mean that that the love of the Lord never ends? That his mercies are brand new every morning. It means this, that the love and forgiveness of God is a renewable resource. It will never run out. There's never not enough. You're you're never too far gone or too far bad or too messed up to come home to Jesus. You, You may feel like it's too late for you or maybe somebody told you it was too late for you, but Christmas means it's not. You can be free from the chains of your past. You know, most of us try to deal with our past in in one of three ways. Some of us try to manage our past by repressing it. I just won't think about it. I'll shove it down. I'll, I'll try to forget it. I'll pretend that it didn't happen. Some of us try to deal with our past by rationalizing it. It wasn't that bad. I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm better than that person. Some of us try to deal with our past by repaying We try to do good enough good deeds to outweigh the bad deeds so that hopefully on the day we die that the scale will be tipped towards the good. The problem with all of those is it's still there. The past is still there. There's only one antidote for our past and that is forgiveness. That's why the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, if we are honest about them, that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us, to break all of those chains and to free us. So you understand, Jesus was born in a manger so that he could die on a cross, so that we could be free from our past. Christmas and Easter are not two different stories. They're one big story, a story of redemption and rescue of a Savior who came to free us from our past. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone belongs to Christ, there is a new creation. And look, the old things have gone right? They're not covered over. They're not, you know, shoved under the rug. They are gone and everything is made new if you belong to Christ. In fact, that phrase belongs to Christ literally means in 
a relationship with. See, we're not talking about religious rituals. We're not talking about being baptized or confirmed somewhere back in your past. We are talking about a daily journey with Jesus. A daily journey of deeper connection to, deeper intimacy of, deeper example following of Jesus. That's where freedom from our past comes from. Maybe you're here today and you've never really experienced that. You're living your own version of Jacob Marley, dragging the past and the pain of it and your failures with you. But you don't have to. I can't think of a better day than right here at the beginning of the Christmas season to step into that freeing relationship with Jesus, to allow his death and resurrection to give you new life, an abundant life. You don't need to raise your hand, check a box, come down and shake a pastor's hand. You could start that journey right now. Just there in your heart, just cry, Jesus, I need that. I'm sick and tired of dragging all this stuff with me. I'm sick and tired. I've tried life on my own and I just keep screwing it up and I'm done. I'm ready for you. Come into my life. I receive and believe that your death on the cross and your resurrection leads to new life for me. Today, I begin a relationship with you, Jesus. Listen, if that's your heart's cry, if that is your prayer today, welcome to the family and welcome to the hope of Jesus. And we can't take that first step for you as a church family but we love to walk this journey with us. So let us know. If you're in person, you can check that box on your little tear-off. We'll follow up with you this week. Or if you're watching online, just private message us. Let us know you're taking that first step, and we will walk that journey in love with you because that's what we're all on. I've been following Jesus for 40-something years, and even today, today, I'm just in my own brokenness and mess just trying to stumble closer to him. That's what Jesus offers us. That's the hope of Christmas. I don't have to be alone. I don't have to keep dragging my past with me. And then finally, the third thing the hope of Christmas means is that I can have a secure future. I can have a secure future. I mean, that's what hope is all about, right? You can't really think about hope without thinking about the future. And the good news of Christmas is your future is secure. Another great promise from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah 29. This is God speaking. God says, I know what I am planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you not plans to hurt you. I will give you hope and a good future. Now, I want you to notice what this promise is and what this promise is not. This is not a promise that everything in your future is going to be good. There'll be some good things. There'll be some not so good things. This is not a promise about the circumstances of your life. This is a promise that God is good and that he is always working for 
your good. I'm not a psychic. I don't have a crystal ball. But if you're a Christ follower, there are two things I can predict about your future with 100% accuracy. Prediction number one, your future will be meaningful. Because God has created you on purpose, for a purpose. Everything you go through or don't go through will ultimately be used for your good and God's glory. It will not be wasted. That's why Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come, the reason I came to earth, the reason for Christmas is to give you life. Not just physical life, not just existing in life, but a full, meaningful, abundant life. No matter what your external circumstances. The second thing I can predict with accuracy about your future is that it is temporary. It is temporary. This coming year may be the best year you've ever had, It may be the most difficult and darkest year you've ever been in. But either way, it is temporary, good or bad. That's why the apostle Paul said, our light and momentary troubles are nothing compared to the glory that awaits us in eternity. But if you look at Paul's life, his troubles, anything but light or momentary. In fact, from the moment he started following Jesus, the external circumstances of his life didn't get better. They got a whole lot worse. See, a lot of us in the church in the U.S. have been bought into this idea, I give my life to Jesus and everything gets better. My finances get better. My relationships get better. My marriage gets better. My kids behave better. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's not. That is not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is that no matter what you're going through, God is using it and it has an expiration date. I mean, Paul's life, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, snake, I mean, all his troubles followed him all the way to the grave. But he ain't worried about them now. He's not thought about those problems in over 2,000 years. In the light of eternity, whatever you're going through, good or bad, is temporary. Now, please hear my heart on this. I'm not minimizing your pain or struggle. Believe me, I know. I'm not trying to put a, put a pretty Christmas bow on whatever it is you're dealing with. I'm just saying it does get better. I don't know when and I don't know how, but I know that it does. And because of that, there is hope. And that's my prayer for each and every one of us, that this Christmas, we would take one step closer to coming home to the hope that God offers. Would you pray with me? Well, Jesus, I I thank you for the reminder that what we're celebrating, what we're putting up trees and lights and decorations and what we're buying gifts and giving and getting gifts, all of that hoopla is for one reason and one reason alone, because of the hope that you offer. 
the hope of your presence with us no matter what we go through. We have hope in the promise that you are good and you are working for our good. And ultimately, Lord, we have hope in knowing that this place ain't our home. We have an amazing future, an eternity in your presence, free from the pain, free from the grief, free from the scars of our past, a true hope based in your power and your promises. So Jesus, I pray as we take steps into that hope, that we would shine the light of that hope to the people around us. Oh Jesus, there is no shortage of hopelessness. It's in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our offices. It's in every aspect of our life. But God, may we stumble forward in that hope and be ready to share the reason for our hope with the people around us. Jesus, help us share that hope in practical and tangible ways with the hurting people around us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.